0: May the Holy Spirit day by day work in our hearts to lead us to repentance and newfound love for one another. Amen. Why do we sing a Lent hymn just now? Lent won't be here until Ash Wednesday, March 2nd next year. That's the first day of Lent, that season of the Christian church year before Easter when traditionally we penitentially remember why Jesus went to the cross for us. We recognize throughout Lent our need for a Savior. We're called during that season to humility and repentance. And in many churches, congregants begin Lent on Ash Wednesday by having ash crosses drawn on their foreheads to remind us of death, the ultimate consequence of our sin. If you think back on our worship services over the last few weeks, you'll notice some very Lenten themes. We've heard Jesus talk with his disciples about his impending cross. We've been called to humble repentance and have been reminded of our natural sinfulness. Last week, we very frankly considered the impact our sin has on those around us as Jesus preached to his disciples about the danger which pride poses to the unity of the church and to the next generation of believers. We're in the Pentecost season of the church year right now. You've seen on the covers of your bulletins for weeks, such and such Sunday after Pentecost. We're nearing the end of that season. These final Pentecost Sundays often feature very Lent-like themes. These Lent-like Pentecost Sundays prepare us for the next church year, which begins with Advent. Advent celebrates Jesus coming to earth at Christmas— And it looks ahead to his second coming on Judgment Day. That was a lot of very church nerdy talk, so I'll boil it down. Lenten themes overlap the end of Pentecost as we think about Jesus coming to save us. During Lent, we think about Jesus carrying his cross up the hill to pay the price for all our sins. At the end of Pentecost, we think about Jesus returning to take us home to be with him forever. You see this Lent-like theme expressed very strongly in our reading from James, my sermon text. What we read divides very easily into two sections. James calls on believers to repent in verses 7 to 10. Then in verses 11 and 12, he specifies an area in which he wants to call his readers to repentance. Verse 11, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. What does it mean for one Christian to slander another? Slander, definitionally, is the communication of untrue statements about someone. Our American legal system, which recognizes slander as a category of the broader term defamation, generally uses this definition, a false statement that injures a third party's reputation. The key there is false. It is not slanderous simply to harm someone's reputation in the American legal system. If you can show that a statement you made which harmed someone's reputation is factually true, American courts will recognize that as a complete defense against a slander charge. James is using a similar definition here. Making false statements about someone else is what he and the scriptures more broadly mean by slander. It all falls under what we call the eighth commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And as I wrote this message and I studied these words from James, the connection to the Eighth Commandment was so clear that I pulled out my copy of Martin Luther's Small Catechism and just started there reviewing his overview of this commandment. What Luther does as he explains the Eighth Commandment is collect other Bible verses that speak about this topic and uses them to explain what's being taught. That's the best thing about the Catechism. It's really just collected Bible verses. It takes the clearest parts of scripture, uses them to teach the basics of the Christian faith, and gives the reader a framework to go back and read the whole Bible with an eye for the unified picture. The Catechism makes clear for us here, as it draws together all different portions of the Bible, how seriously God takes our words. God works through words. He created through words. His Son is the Word made flesh, John's Gospel says. He's God's living and breathing explanation of who he is. The words of the Gospel message have the power to give eternal life. Christians, above all, should understand the power of words. This reading from James condemns the abuse of words, of speech by Christians as they slander other Christians. Again, how exactly does that happen? What exactly is James condemning? We find a few interesting things when we look at our reading. First, we find that simply saying something which might sound unkind or harsh is not slander. James says to his readers, verse eight, "'Wash your hands, you sinners, "'and purify your hearts, you double-minded.'" But he calls the same people brothers and sisters in verse 11. A Christian shouldn't be offended when someone calls them a sinner. I said it to you last week. A person does not become perfect when they become a Christian. They become a saved sinner. Nor is it even slanderous to say that we are double-minded. There are always within each Christian two minds. The sinful natural self, hostile to God, battling against the new self, created by the Holy Spirit, obedient to God in faith. James is speaking to Christians brothers and sisters, even as he reminds them that they are sinners who are torn between serving God and hating him. Now we can point out that to say all this maliciously might be slanderous. It would be slanderous of one Christian to call another a sinner in a way that implies that they themselves are not. But that's beyond what James is teaching us here. What we're learning from James is that simply pointing out one another's sin is not slander. Recognizing our sin and acknowledging it In and as a community is part and parcel of our faith. So what is the slandering one another, which James is condemning here? Asserting that someone else is not a Christian and doing so in this particular way. That person committed this or that particular sin. That person must not even be a Christian. Again, let's be clear what James means. Asserting that a person is not a Christian is not in itself slander because it may be a factually true statement. A Muslim is not a Christian. An atheist is not a Christian. A Christian is someone who believes that God saved them from eternal death for eternal life by giving his son Jesus in their place. If that's the definition of Christian, and I'll say it again, because as I said last week, if you hear me say something that needs pushback, then pushback, and one of those things might be, what is a Christian? A Christian is someone who believes that God saved them from eternal death for eternal life by giving his son Jesus in their place. Think about that, push back if you need to. But if that's the definition of Christian, and if we recognize that no one becomes perfect when they become a Christian, then how dare we look at one particular sin committed by any Christian and immediately say, that person can't even be a Christian. How dare we? How dare we double-minded sinners ignore the planks in our own eyes to point out the specks in others. This is what James is condemning, and you know what, I've done it and so have you. Tell me that during some election season, you haven't questioned the faith of one candidate or another who says they're a Christian because they support some policy that you do not support. Tell me that you haven't heard of some preachers fall from grace and immediately doubted that this person ever knew Jesus. Tell me that you haven't been hurt by another professing Christian, someone you knew, in a way that made you question, out loud, or just to yourself, that person's faith. I have. I'm not gonna stand up here and tell you that I'm not a double-minded sinner too. But James calls us brothers and sisters. Do you know who else James called brother? Jesus. As best as we can figure out, the James who wrote this letter seems to be the James who was Jesus' half-brother, Mary and Joseph's son. You know who Jesus calls brothers and sisters? apart from James and the rest of his family, Jesus calls you his brothers and sisters. Hebrews 2.11 says that Jesus, our Savior, is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Think about that. Despite our sins, with which we continue to struggle, even though Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins and gave his spirit to bring us to new life, even though he would have every reason to be ashamed of us, Jesus stands with you before God the Father and says, Hebrews 2.13, here I am with the children of God. That's what makes this particular sin of slandering other Christians by questioning their faith so egregious. We act as if we ought to be ashamed of standing next to them as Jesus, the only perfect son of God stands next to us. We push him out of his place and assume a position as new lawgivers. These sins, which I commit, are forgivable. These sins, which that person commits, puts them outside the kingdom of God. James warns us, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. Let me pull out a verse from the Proverbs, which Luther uses, again, in the Catechism in his teaching on the Eighth Commandment. This is Proverbs sixteen twenty-eight: A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. The most egregious sin which a Christian can commit against the Eighth Commandment is to refuse to call brother or sister someone whom Jesus calls brother or sister. James asks at the end of our text, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you, he's asking. If you don't want to call this person a Christian, who are you? What should we call you? That's where this text ends. But it's not where I'm going to end because it's not where James ends his letter. The letter keeps going. We're only reading a portion here. Here are the last verses of James, chapter 5, 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, they will save that person from death and cover over a multitude of sins. James, at the end of his letter, reminds us the perfection of Jesus covers over a multitude of sin, all of our sin. Here's what Luther reminds us about Jesus, our Savior. In regard to the eighth commandment, he draws in Isaiah 53. When God's servant Jesus died, Luther says, No deceit was found in his mouth. Luther, with Isaiah there, reminds us that Jesus, who stands alongside us and calls us brother or sister, never slandered, uttered no deceit. And it is that perfection of Jesus which covers our sin and which God sees as we stand before him alongside Jesus, our brother. There are two things we learn about preaching the law to one another from James here. When we preach the law to one another, that is to say, when we point out one another's sin, we do so as James does here. We recognize one another as brothers and sisters. Second, we actually preach the law to one another. We don't complain about one another behind backs. We don't avoid conflict directly while stirring it up indirectly. We preserve the unity of the congregation, the assembly of brothers and sisters, by addressing our problems with one another in humility recognizing that maybe we misread some situation, recognizing that we may be in the wrong, recognizing that the double-minded sinful nature which plagues us all would have us sit in judgment of God and his law to our own destruction, that the only hope any of us have is in the perfection of Jesus, our brother and friend. That hope is sure and certain. There is one lawgiver and judge, as James says, it's Jesus. He is the one whom God appointed judge the world, Acts 17.31. And if your judge stands alongside you, unashamed to call you brother, sister, friend, are you ashamed to stand alongside another double-minded sinner? No. Instead, to God be all the glory that he saves even the worst of sinners to the praise of his holy name. We gather together now around his word, not so that we can learn which sinners to cast out, but so that we can glorify our Savior God in all we say and do. The world does not understand this. But double-minded sinners are brothers and sisters in Jesus. God be praised. Amen.